is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. Well, I'm a little perplexed, quite frankly. As you know, I'm not one of the Rockettes. I'm not one of the pom-pom girls or boys on radio. So I'm perplexed. I'm honestly perplexed. Maybe you can help me. We were celebrating the president the other day in several respects. One of them included his willingness not to fund subsidies to insurance companies, which were, in essence, providing subsidies to certain groups in our population. Uh, We argued, number one, it was unconstitutional, but we also argued it was wrong as a matter of policy. That Obamacare should be allowed to fail so that we can replace it with something that works, something that actually provides you with choices, something that, that creates competition rather than the monopolization of government and insurance companies. That would drive down the cost of policies. That would drive down the level of deductibles. This is basic stuff. That's why the cost of computers and televisions are so low compared to 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and we can go on and on and on. It's basic market economics. And the president said a number of things. He said he was ending the disgrace and the gravy train payments to the insurance companies. Um... Then today, the president reversed course. The Daily Mail, Trump throws his weight behind new bipartisan deal, restoring the gravy train Obamacare subsidies that he bragged about ending last week. President Trump outlined a pair of contradictory priorities for replacing the Affordable Care Act today, suggesting he's willing to let Congress undo a decision he's been boasting about since Thursday. The president said during a Rose Garden press conference with Greek Prime Minister Alexis Tsipras, Tsipras, sorry, that he had ended hundreds of millions of dollars a month in Obamacare-related subsidies to medical insurance companies. Then he said he would support the passage of a bipartisan compromise in the U.S. Senate that would restore $106 million to them. And shortly after the president's press conference, Republican Senator Lamar Alexander, progressive Republican of Tennessee, and Democratic Senator Patty Murray, radical progressive Democrat of Washington State, announced that they had reached a deal doing exactly that. These are called cost-sharing reduction payments. Trump said some in Congress had urged him to continue to pay this, but I said I'm not going to do it. Ultimately, he is going to do it. Remember he said the other day, forget about Obamacare, he told his cabinet, it's dead. Well, apparently it's not dead. The legislation would only be in effect for two years, but will restore the payments the president ended just days ago. Give the state some more flexibility, which kinds of insurance policies are Obamacare compliant. But big deal. So every two years what will happen now is they'll keep funding it and funding it and funding it and funding it and funding it, and they'll forget all about the basics as the years go on. And when the Democrats get control, of course, They'll move immediately to centralized national 
socialist health care. I am, as a side note, as a footnote, rather entertained by this debate over nationalism. You know, the left favors nationalism, too. By nationalism, they mean an all-powerful central government. They hate federalism. They hate state sovereignty. So the left, the left likes its own form of nationalism. And my concern is we have some friends on our side, or at least loosely on our side, who keep throwing around this term nationalism when I think they mean Americanism. As I point out in my book, and as I pointed out repeatedly on this program, we're not about nationalism, we're about Americanism. It's nothing about nationalism in the Declaration of Independence. It's nothing about nationalism in the Constitution of the United States. It's about Americanism and the principles that undergird our society. All right, but we've been through that. So what do you make of this, folks? It looks like Obamacare is going to be saved by a bipartisan effort in Congress and by the President of the United States, at least for two years. Please don't call and tell me everything Trump does is excellent and you're, you're, you feel swell in this. I don't know. I'm, I'm asking people to think this through, okay? You want to do the pom-pom rocket stuff? There's other shows you can call. This isn't that show. We believe in certain principles here. We want to encourage the president to embrace them, or at least move away from the others, right? Here's the president today at his press conference. Cut one, go. Apparently, uh, Lamar Alexander has said he's made a deal with Senator Patty Murray to stabilize Obamacare. Has the White House been involved in those negotiations, and will you support that deal? Yes, we have been involved, and this is a short-term deal. Uh, because we think ultimately block grants going to the states is going to be the answer. And that's a very uh, good solution. We think it's going to not only save money, but... So why people. don't they do it? They have a Republican Senate and House. What are they waiting for? A Democrat Senate and or House? If we don't get block grants now, when will we get them? We have a Republican House, Republican Senate, Republican President. In the future? What future? What are they talking about? The future is now. When it comes to block grants, go ahead. Better health care with a very, very much smaller premium spike. Can you look at what's gone on with that? Also, much lower deductible so they can use it. Uh, Lamar has been working very, very hard with uh, the Democratic, uh, his colleagues on the other side. And Patty Murray is one of them in particular. And uh, they're coming up, and they're fairly close to a short-term solution. The solution will be for about a year or two years, and it'll get us over this intermediate hump. Because this intermediate hump for two years? There is no intermediate hump when it comes to Obamacare. It is a financial nightmare. That's what happens when you use the health care system to redistribute wealth from those who pay for policies or those who work for employers who pay for policies to those who don't. It's a disaster. It's a socialist Rube Goldberg creation. And Bernie Sanders is out there, as are multiple Democrats, at least a third of the United States Senate Democrats, pushing centralized, socialist, nationalist health care. So this gets us over a hump? No, it doesn't. It means you, through your policies, you, through your taxes, are going to continue massive subsidies for insurance companies. But it's not that the insurance companies are getting rich. I know. I could play the populist, the socialist game. No, it's that they need to subsidize 
a particularized portion of the population as compelled by Obamacare. They're the middlemen. They're the middlemen. Chuck Schumer at a press conference today he thinks this is a great solution. Cut to go. I want to salute both Lamar Alexander and Patty Murray for working hard on a bipartisan solution. We think it's a good solution, and it got broad support when Patty and I talked about it at the caucus uh, at lunch today. First, it stabilizes the system. Now, it stabilizes the system. I thought Obamacare was intended to stabilize the system. Now, you and I have to stabilize Obamacare in order to stabilize the system? You see what a fraud this entire operation is? Go ahead. Two, year incre- uh, two years of cost sharing provides real stability to the system. Cost sharing means you are subsidizing the insurance companies who are subsidizing other people. That's cost sharing. In other words, taking your money, both out of your policy payments and out of your back pocket, to subsidize the middlemen who subsidize the end user. Washington's very, very happy tonight. Go ahead. And we want to make sure that happens. We want to work in the long term to reduce premiums and increase coverage. Our Republican colleagues seem to be in the opposite place. Well, really? The last time you did that, you destroyed our health care system, you knucklehead. You buffoon. It's true. And they did other things, too. Cut three, Chuck Schumer. Go. We've also put in some very significant anti-sabotage provisions. The president had been sabotaging this bill, and the agreement would undo much of that sabotage. Now listen to how this guy talks, because what the president did Thursday night is he said, enough is enough, I'm going to follow the Constitution, I'm going to follow the statute, uh, and I'm going to also follow basic and rational finances and economics. We're not doing this anymore. If Congress passes this and the president signs it, that makes it constitutional, that makes it legal, that also makes it outrageous. Because that means both political parties and both elected branches, Congress and the president, have created a massive new entitlement boondoggle. That is lawful. That is lawful. Go ahead. So overall... We are very pleased with this agreement. Now, it's just general. There are a few more details that have to be worked out, but we think it's a very good step forward. And I, speaking for myself, I hope Senator McConnell would put it on the floor under Senator Lamar and uh, Murray's leadership. I hope the House would take it up and the President would sign it all as quickly as possible. That's enough. Let's get it through, baby, as fast as we can. Let's get it through before... You and I wake up to exactly what's taking place here. Let's get it through. I don't know. I don't know. I'm getting whiplash. The president did one thing Thursday, and now today he's prepared to do quite a different thing. Very, very troubling to me. And here's Senator Patty Murray. She's a left-wing kook from the state of Washington. Uses the same language as Schumer. Cut for a go. As we all know right now, patients and families across our country are looking at the harmful steps that President Trump has taken to sabotage health care in our country. So, so not only will the Republicans and the Republican president wind up subsidizing Obamacare, saving Obamacare, forget about repeal and replace, saving Obamacare, congratulating themselves, telling it's short-term, and then in two years we're going to really push for block grants. What do we need, more Republicans? Really? Under the same leadership? 
But the Democrats win the argument because they've been saying without a reply from the Republicans that the president is sabotaging and has been sabotaging health care and Obamacare. But for the president sabotaging Obamacare and health care, we'd have this glorious, utopian, paradisiacal health care system where premiums are low, where deductibles are low, where everybody gets quality coverage whenever they need it, including at the VA. It'd be the most beautiful thing, but Trump's been sabotaging it. So they win the argument, and it's a lie. It's a big, bald-faced lie. The problem is socialism, whether it's dressed up as Obamacare or single-payer or whatever it is. That's the problem. Who's making the case against socialism? Anybody? No. I mean, apart from me. And so you'll see the Rockettes and the pom-pom boys and girls in radio and TV and on the Internet tell you this is swell. This is great. Big victory. Look what we've done here. We've really stuck it to the left. They're on the run. Really? I'm going to prove a point to you right now. To me. By going to Scott, Scott Thursday, Montville, New Jersey, so the great Tuesday. WABC. I'll Go. be right back. Hey, Mark the Great Levin. Pleasure to speak to you. Listen a long time. I agree with 99.9% of everything that you have uh, saying that the president is kicking the can down the road for two years. He doesn't have the votes. McConnell cannot deliver Hey, Scott, 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 Scott. I'm agreeing with Trump Thursday and disagreeing with Trump Tuesday. You don't understand what happened on Thursday, do you, Scott? What did the president, what did the president do on Thursday? Well, he said that he was going to have a program that was going to be agreed to. uh, No, the president said that he is going to reverse course on the Obama unconstitutional action and not fund these subsidies anymore. It was a gravy train for insurance companies. Isn't that what he said? Yes. What does Mitch McConnell have to do with it? Well, you want him to read The president didn't have to do anything. Just leave it alone. Say, okay, you can send me that legislation. That's not repeal. And you're not replacing it with anything substantive, so I will veto it. If he was consistent with Thursday, right? Here's my concern. You're all knee-jerk for Trump. I'm all knee-jerk for the country. And when I disagree with a politician, whether he's an outsider, insider, president, senator, dog catcher, whatever, I explain why. I explain why, and I did it very respectfully here. I know people who are going broke over this Obamacare. They cannot afford it. Small businesses cannot afford it. This isn't a joke. And the answer isn't to drive up the debt further in this country, which is over $200 trillion and $20 trillion fiscal operating debt, which nobody, nobody, nobody discusses anymore but me. But nobody in Congress discusses it, and the president doesn't discuss it. Don't you think somebody ought to discuss it? Now, on Thursday, the president took an incy-wincy, tinsy little step, I felt, in the right direction by saying, you know what? I'm not subsidizing these things anymore. Now, if Congress passes it, theoretically it's constitutional, and he can say, I said it's a gravy train, and I mean it. Today, Lamar Alexander, one of the worst Republicans, cuts a deal with one of the worst Democrats. Schumer's thrilled. He's, and meanwhile, they're trashing Trump, saying he's been trying to sabotage health care. So you lose the message, you lose the principle, you increase the debt, You don't fix Obamacare. I'm sorry, Scott. I'm not for this. 
Well, I hear what you're saying, Mark, but here here he has no, 52 senators, See, and there's matter. four of them. It won't that matter that I just told you that the president acted Thursday and said he's not going to subsidize the way Obama did. And then if they pass a statute, he has the power to veto it. The president said, say goodbye to Obamacare. You keep saying, well, the Republicans in the Senate. Forget the Republicans in the Senate. The president said, I'm going to scrap this program. And the way I'm going to scrap it is I'm going to choke off the finances. And I have the power to do that. And if they pass a statute, he can veto it and choke off the finances. That's not what he's doing. Go ahead. Tell me about the president again. Tell me about McConnell and the, the Republicans. All right, there's another happy listener. There he goes. This is not about McConnell and the Republicans. It's about the president holding the line. I don't like having these discussions. I don't like bringing it up. But you know what? Sometimes principle matters. I'll be right back. Payments has actually brought Republicans and Democrats together because we got calls, emergency calls from the Democrats, and I think probably the Republicans were also calling them saying, let's come up with at least a short term fix of health care in this country. And the gravy train ended the day I knocked out the insurance company's money, which was last week. Hundreds of millions of dollars a month handed to the insurance companies for very little reason, believe me. I want the money to go to the people. I want the money to go to poor people that need it. I want the money to go to people that need proper health care, not to insurance companies, which is where it's going as of last week. I ended that. Well, two things. I want the money to go to the people who earned it. This isn't the government's money. It's not the Republican Party's money. It's not the Democrat Party's money. It's not the president's money. Again, the reason you're in a vice right now and it's getting tighter and tighter is because you're not just paying for your own health care. You're paying for this massive administrative state, which is overseeing a massive government-run health care system thanks to Obamacare. And this has to be unraveled. Not because we don't care about people. Not because we don't... We're not compassionate about our fellow citizens. It's because we do care about people, and we are compassionate about our fellow citizens. But we're also compassionate about our own families. This will do nothing to reduce the drastic increases in policy costs. This will do nothing to increase the number of choices you have, and in some counties you have no choice at all. This will do nothing to reduce the deductibles that are taking place, these massive deductibles that are installed. Nothing. And they can go and talk about the insurance companies all they want. Obamacare did this. Congress did this. The prior president did this. And they're supposed to help unravel this. And the president took a little step toward doing that last Thursday, and you just heard him. I don't know how we go from gravy train to a great bipartisan deal for two years. That feeds the gravy train. That feeds the gravy train. I don't want to hear about Mitch McConnell and the Republicans. Nobody is... 
attack Mitch McConnell and the Republicans harder and longer than I have. Period. The president on his own said no more money and said that's it. If they pass the statute and do and send it to him and there's more money for insurance companies, he can veto it. And he'd win. They're not going to get 67. 67 votes in the Senate to overturn his veto. It's not going to happen. So how do we get our health care back? How do we reduce the debt? How do we really show compassion for most of the people in this country? I'm tired of talking about Medicaid and illegal aliens, everybody who's being subsidized, everybody who wants to be subsidized. I'm Turk talking about the heart and soul of this country, the men and women who pay the taxes, the men and women who labor every damn day to provide for their families as best they can, despite the taxes and the regulations. That's what I'm talking about. And I don't want to talk about this all day either. There's a lot to get to. But let me take some of your calls. To me, this is indefensible. In the meantime, the Democrats win the argument because the Republicans buckle and they appear to buckle. They're perceived to have buckle. In reality, they buckle. Of course, Schumer's delighted. Patty Mary's delighted. Yet they still trash the president when they're supporting that, when he's supporting their, their proposal. Oh, he's sabotaging. Oh, he doesn't want to help people. He's taking harmful steps against the poor and so forth. This is how they win. We buckle on policy, we let them control the language and the narrative. Let us go to Tom, Tinton Falls, New Jersey, the great WABC. Go ahead. Hey, Mark, pleasure to speak with you. What happened to the let it implode plan? I, thought I don't know. I'm sorry. I, thought I don't know. You're right. They were going to let it implode, but giving subsidies to insurance companies isn't letting it implode, it's prolonging it. And once those subsidies... No, you know, it's even doing what... You know what it's at? It's enshrining it. If you don't stop these subsidies when you have a Republican House, a Republican Senate, and a Republican President... In other words, the gentleman before you from New Jersey was calling, say, Mark, he doesn't have enough Republicans, you know, to get what he wants. Got that. But now he's reversed course, which is, he does have enough Republicans who will spend like drunken Democrats. So why sign on to that? And he campaigned on repealing it. So this is not repealing it whatsoever. I mean, the business reporting requirements are insane, and he's done nothing about that either. But if you listen to what he said Thursday, if you listen to what he said yesterday, and I was cheering him every step of the way, and you know I was talking about it on the air. He had a great last week. You know, the press, we had a great week. Oh, he had a great 48. Oh, he had a horrible 72. Whatever. And I played. I said, look, he had a great week, a great Thursday and Friday. Absolutely. Then this. One of the most liberal Republicans, who's a gutless wonder, Lamar Alexander, cuts a deal with one of the most radical Democrats, Patty Murray, and uh, he can't wait to sign it. So it can show that government works. The government works. Let me just tell you people something, my beloved Levinites out there. You're going to have at least two more years of this Obamacare. And it's going to, in my view, be enshrined forever because if the Republicans in controlling the House, the Senate, and the presidency not only won't repeal it, but are intent on funding it, subsidizing it with your tax dollars, with your policy dollars too, in effect, well, then there's no, there's no recourse. Go ahead, Tom. That Chuck you after, after you played that clip, that man's disgusting. 
He is absolute scum. Oh, he is. He's sitting there attacking Trump, and Trump's going to support him in this extended subsidies. Trump should veto it just on that. Yeah. All right, my friend. Uh, you know, if you're a real Trump supporter, this ought to infuriate you, too, that he's going to sign on to something, and these very people are trashing him. Maybe he should pretend they're, you know, John McCain or Bob Corker, who, by the way, I don't like much either. It's nothing to do with them personally. I don't know Bob Corker personally. And, of course, John McCain has a a hero's resume. And, and, and I watch him on TV, and he does look very old. I mean, I feel very, very bad for him and his family. But he's still taking steps and doing things that I consider destructive, just like Corker is in the other. So pretend that Patty Murray is John McCain and pretend that Chuck Schumer is Bob Corker. Then we'll get it all fixed. Mark, Manhattan, New York, the great WABC, go. Hey, Mark, how are you? Okay. It's a great honor to speak to you again. Thank uh, you. The question that you kind of posed at the very beginning of your show was like, and I'm paraphrasing, it's like, what is going on? Why is he doing this? And I totally sympathize with you. It's like we have to chew on drama means as his policies lurch back and forward. But I think what's going on with him is... Uh, we saw it with DACA, and we've now seen it with this. I think he is terrified of people thinking that he's a bad guy and mean to the poor people and mean to the weak and mean to the needy because at the moment he puts forth a correct policy position, the Democrats trot out all of the people who are, quote-unquote, hurt by this, and on some level, he reacts to that, and he decides that he has to save them then. And he doesn't want to be the bad guy. He doesn't want to be the widow, pushing the widow out of her house. And then he just goes and totally reverses himself. The moment it becomes personalized, he flips, and we're just going to have to keep dealing with this. Now, why he does that, I don't know. We'd have to go to a shrink with him to find out Well, why. here's the thing. What he did Thursday and Friday, he had enormous support from the people he needs support from. Yeah, but you know, he doesn't view it that way. I, I understand, which is why I get behind this microphone and I do what I do. It would be much easier for me, trust me on this, if I just put, you know, grabbed the pom-poms and was dancing across the stage. Or if I was a rockette, you know, dancing with my legs uh, in this direction, that direction, every direction. Yeah, it would be much easier. But when you actually think for yourself, and you actually think about what he said last week, and think about how Obamacare is very destructive to health care for average Americans out there, really all Americans out there, except those who get massive subsidies, you can't just agree to this stuff. You're agreeing with Lamar Alexander. You're agreeing with Patty Murray. You're agreeing with Chuck Schumer. I get it. Trump wants to get this done. But look at the others who are involved in this, too. Thank you for your call, Mark. I appreciate it. Jeff, too early on, Jeff. Chris, Phoenix, Arizona, Sirius Satellite, go. Hello, sir. I love listening to you. I just want to Thank say you. I'm absolutely devastated. The Republicans, this was my, my and many others, I'm sure, last hope. My insurance has gone from $235 a month for a $2,500 deductible to $500 for a $10,000 deductible. By next year, I, and I pay all my own bills, it, I'm not going to be able to keep it up. And I mean... I don't know. I think that Trump doesn't like when people don't like him. He wants favorability. The Republicans aren't giving to him. He's going to make a deal with anybody because he always said he's about making deals. And for Chuck Schumer to sit there and say that it's sabotage angers me to death. It's like sabotage. 
Well, what difference does it make to you? You've got your insurance. What about the rest of us? And you know, this 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 is a lose lose. It just is. It's a loss, really. Uh, you know, it, it it's very troubling to me because this doesn't in any way help the American people. It's just more left-wing pablum where the, where the healthcare balloon gets bigger and bigger and bigger. The quality goes down. The number of doctors, the number of people who want to be doctors goes down. The number of hospitals, uh, are, are increasingly limited. Um, the wait periods are getting longer and longer. We, we are slowly but sure, surely turning our national healthcare system into the Veterans Administration. I know, and I tell people, do you know what England is? Do you know, do you hear about the VA? We're going to, I mean, the VA is nothing compared to what it's going to be when we're all on that. And right. and people are just like, well, as long as they get theirs, they don't care. It's like, well, you know, so I... Well, they're not going to get theirs then, are they? Because one day the damn thing blows up. Look, it's no joke. The real estate market blew up because of what the government was doing, priming the pump or pumping the prime. Remember that? The banking system blew up when they were doing the same things with the savings and loan. And that all happened within a relatively short period. What, 20 years? 15 years? Uh, you can't keep doing this. This doesn't work. The laws of, uh, of, 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 the, the laws of economics will catch up with the laws of politics every time. Chris, thank you for your call. And see, there is a voter for Trump, as am I, and she's saying, I can't withstand this. I can't sustain this. So Washington will have a deal. Uh, people who don't pay for their own health care, they'll be covered. But people who try and do pay for their own health care, whether directly or through their employer or through their small business or whatever, get almost nothing out of this. And I'm not talking about subsidies. Liberty, freedom of choice, competition. I'll be right back. Mark in. Look, folks, here's how I see it. We are the thin blue line of politics. We're it. If you and I, the millions of you and I, do not stand for what is right and what's doable, nobody will. Nobody will. And then we will look back as our children suffer and our grandchildren suffer and wonder why. And wonder why. Every deal is not a good deal. Sometimes no deal is a good deal. So I'm just saying that we're it. We're the last line of defense. Last line of defense in this republic. There is no other. We have hordes on the left who seek to devour this civil society. We have people amongst us who are going in their own direction. We have people who who claim to represent a political party who have absolutely no substance whatsoever. So we're it. And if the president doesn't hear from us in a civil and polite way, and that's how we're discussing this, then he's never going to hear about it. And the left will think that we'll roll over every single time. Well, I'm not part of this. I'm not rolling over every single time. Life is too precious, and our time on this earth is too short. You know, I don't think of it often, but I have said before, 
if I should be so lucky to have a moment's thought before I pass away and I'm lying there, I want to be able to say to myself that I did everything I could to be a good person, to take care of my family, to love my country, and I refuse to compromise on big things. Because what's the point? I refuse to compromise on big things. We all compromise in our personal lives on many things. We all compromise in politics, but some things are just too big. And we've reached a point of accumulation, I would call it, where we've accumulated so many small, medium, and big-sized things that are so damaging to the country. I mean, how do you look at your fellow citizens and their pain they're in, the difficulty they have, callers I have into this program who are serious people, who are family people, who are hardworking, law-abiding, tax-paying American citizens who want nothing, nothing from their government, who ask for nothing, but are having an extremely difficult time making ends meet because of Obamacare. What do you say to them? And I have family members like this. What do you say to them when we have a bipartisan deal that's being cheered by the Democrats, cheered by the Republicans? The Republican president says he'll sign it for two years and maybe we'll block grants after that and so forth and so on. Which will do nothing to lower premiums and nothing to lower deductibles and nothing to increase choices. Well, Mark... That's all he could do. That's not true. He did what he should do on Thursday. On Thursday. You know, now that I've been sleeping on my Casper mattress for a long while, I'd pick it over every mattress I ever had. It really helps me get the best night's sleep, period. Once you try Casper, you're going to love it. Switching to a Casper, it's a no-brainer. It's a higher quality mattress at a more affordable price. I'm sleeping uh, sleeping cool and comfortably every night, much better than on the old overpriced mattress I used to have. Casper is the best mattress I've ever had. Casper ships right to your door for free in a small, how did they do that size box? It's really true. It's remarkable. They'll even pick it up if you don't love it and refund you everything. From its breakthrough design and superior quality to its packaging to its enormously wonderful service, the Casper Company, to letting you try it for 100 nights. It's no wonder Casper was named one of Fast Company's 50 most innovative brands of 2017. Put Casper to the test in your own home for 100 nights. Take that mattress you have, lean it against the wall, order your Casper, try it. You can have it for over three months. If you like it, keep it. If you don't, you can send it back. It's risk-free. But I know you're going to love it. Go to Casper.com, and so do they, by the way. Go to Casper.com. And use code MARK, and you can save $75 on your purchase. That's Casper.com, code MARK, minimum purchase required. See the site for details, terms and conditions apply. But by all means, go there and check it out. It's Casper.com, code MARK. Quickly, quickly, Ian, Mount Airy, Maryland, the great WMAL. One minute, go. Hey, Mark, thanks so much. Love your show. Um, An important thing that I think is happening is... I work at a Fortune 15 company, and we suddenly have deductibles that are hitting us over $3,000. Now, I don't know where it's coming from. We've never had this before. But I think if that hits corporate America, the Congress and the Senate know that if this hits general America across corporations, they're done in the next election. 
I mean, they are going to get tossed out of office. Now, I don't know all the particulars of where this is coming from from my com company, but you can look at the 14, Fortune 15 and clearly see what's going on here. All right. Well, it's companies, small businesses, it's individuals. But we have to worry about Medicaid and illegal aliens and so forth. I'll tell you what. I'll be right back. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. You know... Our armed forces, when allowed to do what they need to do, are so exceptional, are so outstanding. And that's what the president, the commander-in-chief, has allowed the military to do with respect to ISIS. And that is to make its own decisions about how it's going to defeat this vile enemy. And it is defeating this vile enemy. And U.S.-backed forces have essentially toppled... ISIS in Raqqa, in Raqqa, Syria. That was their capital, if you will. Most recent reports say there's about 100 ISIS fighters left. That means it's just a matter of time. And when we say U.S.-backed forces, we mean a number of different types of organizations, but in particular, we mean the Kurds. The Kurds. The Kurds are Muslims for the most part. The Kurds are pro-American. They're pro-democracy. They're pro-Israel. When the map of the Middle East was drawn up about 100, 150 years ago, give or take, the Persians got a piece, much of what was considered historically accurate, and we go down the list. Even more recently, when the Middle East was carved up again, Kuwait got a piece, there was no Kuwait. Saudi Arabia got a piece, there was no Saudi Arabia. Jordan, Transjordan got a piece, there was no Transjordan monarchy. They got a piece, and so forth and so on. The indigenous peoples, indigenous to what we now call Israel, of course, were the Jews. But there are other indigenous peoples in that region of the world, and when they were carving it up, they left them out. And that's the Kurds. The Kurds have been absolutely loyal to the United States, the United States Armed Forces. They've been courageous. When Saddam Hussein controlled Iraq, he tried to wipe the Kurds out. Erdogan, another fascist in Turkey, he's trying to wipe the Kurds out. The Syrians are trying to wipe the Kurds out. And now, the Iraqi regime. Heavily influenced, if not controlled by the Iranians, is trying to wipe the Kurds out. 
Somebody needs to speak up for the Kurds on a national level. It'll be me, I guess. This is a piece in the New York Post from last night on the online edition from Benny Avni. I don't know Benny Avni. It doesn't much matter. What he writes makes a lot of sense to me. If President Trump wants to stop Iran from making the entire country of Iraq a subsidiary of the Revolutionary Guard, he'll need to intervene in the burgeoning crisis in Kurdistan and fast. This is the area where the Kurds have claimed their territory. Yesterday, Iraqi forces, listen to this, Iraqi forces trounced Kurdish fighters and emerged victorious in a short fight for control of the oil-rich northern Iraqi town of Kirkuk. And they could not have done it without us. When ISIS stormed Iraq in 2014, the demoralized Iraqi army collapsed. Its troops deserted and fled. Baghdad was utterly humiliated. Then Kurdish fighters, Kurdish fighters, known as the Peshmerga, entered Kirkuk secured the key city, and kept it jihadi-free. Since then, a better-trained, better-equipped, U.S.-backed Iraqi army has been fighting alongside the Peshmerga, the, the Kurds, to chase ISIS out of the country. Now, with ISIS nearly dead, the Iraqi army turns its attention to Kirkuk and chase the Kurds out in the name of national unity. The successful blitz is a feather in Prime Minister Hader al-Abdai's cap. He struggled to keep Iraq unified in the aftermath of September 25 non-binding ref- referendum, in which Iraq's Kurds overwhelmingly expressed the desire for independence. So America should be happy, right? After all, U.S. advisors turned the Iraqi army into a viable fighting machine that just proved its worth. Plus, the State Department publicly opposed the referendum declared by Kurdish leader Mossad Barzani. Problem is, the Iraqi army wasn't alone in defeating the Kurds. Much of the fighting was done by Iraqi Shiite militias, many of which swear allegiance to the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps of Iran, Tehran's vanguard, even as they, too, get American arms. Friday, President Trump declared the IRGC, the Iraqi Guard, a terror organization. Treasury Department hit the group with new sanctions to confront its growing global influence. If the fall of Kirkuk is undeniably a big victory for the Iranian regime and its commander, a commander who's a former U.S. ambassador to Iraq, told me that Khalilzad advocates active U.S. involvement in negotiations between Baghdad and Erbil, the Iraqi Kurdish capital. Such talks should include agreements for sharing power and oil revenue from Kirkuk. Ultimately, Kurdish self-determination must be addressed. It is the Kurdish crisis was brewing, the administration did little beyond calling for a need to maintain Iraq's territorial integrity. And this is the fault primarily of the State Department. Even now, some see the Kirkuk defeat as a lesson for Barzani, proof that the State Department's opposition to the referendum was sound policy. In America's seeming indifference to Kurdish independence, encouraged Kurdistan's neighbors to do things the Mideast way. Turkey Iran and Iraq's central government threatened war, even as Barzani declined to unilaterally declare independence in the referendum aftermath after offering negotiations instead. So here you have the head of the Kurds 
even though there was a referendum, over 90% of the Kurds voted for independence. He says, okay, look, let's negotiate this. And Turkey, Iran, and Iraq, the central government say, no, we're going to go to war with you. And now Kirkuk, a key regional asset, is about to be dominated by militias that answer to Iran. The easy victory over Kirkuk and the Kurds and America's indifference could encourage a further Iranian-led push into Kurdish areas. And it goes on. Why are we leaving the Kurds to these forces, many of which are enemy forces of the United States? Why aren't we being loyal to the Kurds the way they were loyal to us? I saw some libertarian on cable TV saying, look, we have no business here. What the hell? Let's get out. Isn't that convenient? So we're going to leave the Kurds? Doesn't mean we have to send in troops. But shouldn't we take an active role in protecting them from the Iraqi regime in which we have lost lives and treasure? Shouldn't we take an active role? I mean, it's Turkey that's out of control with this Erdogan, this fascist. In protecting our loyal friends? Another piece from Fox News. U.S. to stay neutral in all-out clashes between Kurds and Iraqis. Why are we staying neutral? Why are we staying neutral? The U.S. is seeking to stay neutral. This, this again, has to be State Department idiotic policy. In fact, it is. U.S. State Department spokesperson Heather Nauert said the U.S. is urging all sides to restore calm and avoid further clashes. Wow, that's effective. That's effective. The Kurds helped us on our way to destroying ISIS. I don't like the way we're treating them. I think it's a, uh, I think it's immoral. It's absolutely immoral. The bulk of the fighting being done right now as I speak in Raqqa to liberate that city of the Islamic State militants involves the Kurds. It's the Kurd-led Syrian Democratic Forces. The Kurdish-led Syrian Democratic Forces. I'm going to continue to bring this up. I'm going to keep bringing this up. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. The evidence is building that James Comey may well have obstructed the investigation into Hillary Clinton. Nobody's quite put it that way, but I don't know how else you can put it. I don't know how else you can put it. Despite all the theatrics and the drama and that announcement where she blames him for costing her the presidency and so forth and so on, the fact of the matter is he never did recommend charging her, did he? And he had no control over the fact that Hillary failed to campaign in places like Wisconsin and Michigan. But it's abundantly clear that James Comey is and was a very bad actor. Fox News, Comey drafted a letter on Clinton email investigation before completing interviews. FBI confirms. And I would ask, why does it take this long for the FBI to confirm this? The FBI released documents yesterday proving former FBI Director James Comey began drafting a letter regarding Hillary Clinton's email investigation months before conducting several key interviews, including speaking to Clinton herself. Now, I know, by the way, the FBI uh, top-level types and uh, Comey surrogates, 
um, will be out there saying, well, this is done all the time. You know, he's just preparing his options. And so, no, it's not done all the time. There's no need to prepare a draft. You wait for the facts. Why do you need a draft letter, a draft statement regarding the investigation when the investigation isn't even isn't even over? As a matter of fact, not only wasn't Hillary interviewed, around two dozen other people were left to be interviewed. So why are you drafting anything? <clears throat> the document release was titled Drafts of Director Comey's July 5, 2016 Statement Regarding Email Server Investigation Part 01 of 01. The contents of the email were largely unclear as nearly all of it was redacted. The now public records show the email titled Mid-Year Exam Unclassified was sent. Well, it's called unclassified, but of course they have the vast majority of it is redacted. Now, there's a lot of reasons you can redact. Unclassified was sent by Comey on May 2nd, 2016. That's two months. Two months before he interviewed her. To Deputy Director Andrew McCabe, General Counsel James Baker, and Chief of Staff and Senior Counselor James Rebicki. On May 16, the document showed a response email from Rebicki saying, please send me any comments on this statement so we, we may roll into a master doc for discussion with Director at a future date. Thanks, Jim. Meaning, let me know your comments now and we'll discuss this with the Director at a future date. Discuss what? The investigation wasn't over. The existence of the documents reported by Newsweek were first brought to light by Grassley and Graham, also a member of the committee, Senate Judiciary Committee, after they reviewed transcripts of interviews with top Comey aides who alluded to the email's existence. The Senate Judiciary Committee is investigating Comey in his role as FBI director and President Trump's decision to fire him in May. Should have been fired earlier than that. The senators penned their letter on April, on August 30th to uh, the new FBI director, Ray. What do you make of this, ladies and gentlemen? I'll tell you what I make of this. Yes. I don't believe this was some bureaucratic effort or your typical this, that, or the other. I believe more and more we're seeing a cover-up of huge proportions here. A cover-up. Comey. Um... We now know that there were many, many documents related to the tarmac meeting, right, between the former Attorney General, Loretta Lynch, and the former President Bill Clinton. The FBI had said there weren't any documents. Now there are many documents. How does that happen? Something's going on at the top level of the FBI, and it stinks to high heaven. It stinks to high heaven. It's been politicized at the top levels. Which explains Comey, which explains Mueller. We also know more and more about Watergate. Thanks to a new book that's out on that subject. And I think I'll bring the author in. The deputy director of the FBI leaking to Woodward and Bernstein. Not because he was he was out to get justice or get the truth out. But as the author writes, because he wanted a promotion. He wanted to be the FBI director. And he thought by taking down another FBI director, and once he was, uh, it was clear he wasn't going to be the FBI director, he just decided to burn the place down. So he wasn't acting out of uh, earnestness or anything of the sort, according to this author. So we'll bring him on and we'll have that chat. But we know the acting director of the FBI after Comey left 
His wife was a very active liberal Democrat running for the state Senate, close to the governor of Virginia. And the acting FBI director at the time, McCabe, now the deputy director, is uh, being investigated by the inspector general. Not that anything's been wrong, but to see if anything done was done that was wrong. So we have a mess. We have a mess. A lot of it is the fault of the prior attorneys general, Holder and Lynch, who really, who really did enormous damage to the Department of Justice. But Mr. Comey, and it's not just this, it's other issues too. Mr. Comey needs to be placed under oath again. And the United States Justice Department under President Trump and Attorney General Sessions, particularly under Sessions, needs to be prepared to charge people who lie under oath or mislead. Whether they're doing a, an 18 U.S. 1001 interview with an FBI agent or misleading as they're giving testimony under the penalty of perjury. It's time to enforce the rules. All right, let's take a call. Let's see what people are thinking. Then there's some more I have to cover. I'm taking all the, the naysayers right now. Ryan, Las Vegas, the great KDWN, Don, go. Mark, what is just us? You know, when I hear justice, just us, I, and I'm kind of wondering, you know, I'm, I'm seeing three branches of government, executive, judiciary, legislative. Could you explain that to me? I don't even understand why? what you're saying. That's, why I'm, that's what I'm asking. My point, why, what is the justice, the Department of Justice, what is their, their, their purpose, propose? Well, why don't you tell me what their purpose is? Well, it sounds like it's political. Well, let's... let's undermine the laws of the union. Well, I mean, it depends who's in charge. At, right now, at least one aspect of it, it doesn't have a very good track record, does it? Well, it's been around this way for some time. Longer than... Most anyone I know has been alive, yeah? No, I mean, there's good people at the Justice Department. There's a lot of good uh, activity that goes on in the Justice Department. So I don't paint with a broad brush. I mean, uh, but the Justice Department can be worse when it's under people like Holder or Lynch, who have an absolute political, you know, agenda. But now's the time to improve it. And I think they're improving aspects of it. But, I mean, here's the thing. The Justice Department doesn't even have to wait for Congress to send it notice that Mr. Comey may have obstructed or in the, in the investigation of Hillary Clinton and so forth to conduct their own investigation and make decisions about whether or not uh, these are chargeable activities. So they need not wait. But uh, the purpose of the Department of Justice is quite obvious, and it's in the executive branch to answer your question. I'll be right back. in time for Halloween. The Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi nightmare continues. Call in now. 877-381-3811. That it does. Well, I was of two minds on whether I should mention this. But I'm going to mention it. Because I'm bursting with pride. My beautiful daughter had a baby boy this morning. That would be my grandson. 
my first grandson. I should say our first grandson. So we have a beautiful granddaughter and now a beautiful grandson for my beautiful daughter and her wonderful husband. So we're just kind of all excited and happy in all the families that are involved in this. The Levins, the Baileys, and everybody else. So, what can I say? Very hard for me to get really, really angry today. I do have another family member who's very ill, and I'm not going to discuss that. Life is a funny thing. You know, I'm going to do something I wasn't even going to do. That's the great thing about this format, and quite frankly, I think about this show because I really feel like you're my extended family. I hope you feel the same way here. A buddy of mine, Tom, I said to him, life can be happy and depressing at the same time. Given what my family is dealing with. So he sends this to me. It's absolutely on point. Ecclesiastes says that life is but a shallow breath, hevel in Hebrew. That shallow breath being all that separates the living from the dead. We live, we die as if we never, if we had never been. We build, others occupy, we accumulate, but others enjoy. From all this, he discovers that meaning isn't found in objects. Our happiness must be sought within the narrow limits of our all-too-brief time here. Meaning, he said, can only be found in simple things. Love and work and family, eating and drinking, doing good for others and one's people and country. And to acknowledge the eternity of the Almighty in accepting the limits of a human life. That speaks for me. Doesn't necessarily make things easier. But that certainly speaks for me. Puts things, I think, in the proper context. But I'll tell you, it's uh, it's very interesting. It's very unusual. You folks who are grandparents. Now I'm 60 years old and here I have two grandkids. And I remember when I was 20, 30, 40 years old. But everybody's healthy and wonderful, and I and I thank uh, God and thank thank all the families. And I'll be heading out there, Julia and I will, uh, to check everything out, as well the other family members. You know the funny thing is, and I've said this on the air too. A hundred years from now, or two hundred years from now. Most of us won't be remembered. It's as if we didn't exist. Except by family members, if we're lucky. Gene Shepard, when I was a little kid, I used to listen to New York radio, often Philadelphia radio. Growing up in Philadelphia, I would go to sleep with the radio on. I always wanted to be in radio in some way. My career took me in a different direction, then I lurched back. But as I recall, and I'm doing this by memory, he said in a thousand years none of us existed. Except, you know, maybe three, four, five hundred members of humanity. 
and many of them were inhumane, genocidal mass killers. This is why it's so important with our limited time on earth. And I'm not lecturing because I wouldn't know how to lecture. I'm a person of faith, but I wouldn't know how to teach it. I leave that to people who do. But that's why limited time on earth, make it worthwhile. It doesn't mean every day is going to be filled with joy and happiness. It doesn't mean every day is going to be filled with accomplishment. It just means do your best. Do your best in what you do. Do your best with your family. You won't be perfect. No human being is perfect. That's why you're a human being. If you've done some really rotten things, then fix it. Fix it. Change your life. I, in many ways, am fatalistic. I think about this country a thousand years from now. I think about my children, my grandchildren, and their offspring a hundred years from now, two hundred years ago. I so desperately want them to live in freedom. I so desperately want them to live in a republic. I so desperately want them to be able to celebrate their individuality. When you look around the world, societies are toppled very quickly and very easily. I don't know what's going to happen to America, but I do know this. History has taught us this. No society, no country, is guaranteed in perpetuity. None. And hence, none will exist in perpetuity. But we ought to do everything we can to ensure the best we can that our progeny, our children, our grandchildren, and those yet born don't suffer that they are able to live full human lives, that they're able to realize their individuality, their unalienable rights. This is why when people say, you conservatives give it up, give it up, I can't give it up. Give up what? Give up what? Our soul, our heart, our mind, our existence, our being. Give up what? Give up our families, our children, our faith. Can't give up. We're not giving up. We're not going to be redefined. We're not going to be pigeonholed. We're not going to be quiet. We're not going to sit down. What do you mean give up? Give up what? Even if our principles are not accepted by modern politics or the practice of modern politics, the way it's practiced today, we're not going to give up our principles. Our principles are more important than a politician. They're more important than an election. That's why I'm not a populist. I'm a constitutionalist. That's why I don't talk about nationalism. I talk about Americanism. That's why I don't talk of love of government. I talk of love of civil society. Love of country. I just decided to get into this a little bit. That's all. You know, the Equifax breach that impacted roughly 143 million consumers, just got bigger. They've now added 2.5 million people to that list. If that's not bad enough, Yahoo announced that their 2013 breach impacted all 3 billion user accounts, triple the original estimate. 
Now, you should know once your personal information has been exposed, it doesn't just go away. Identity thieves can buy your information on the dark web for months, even years after a breach. They can use it to commit crimes in your name, even steal from your 401k. Now's the time to protect yourself. Sign up for LifeLock today. They use proprietary technology to detect a wide range of identity threats and will alert you if your information is being used. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But LifeLock can help you see more than if you're just monitoring your credit. In other words, LifeLock is the best. So go to LifeLock.com, LifeLock.com, or call 1-800-LIFELOCK, 1-800-LIFELOCK. But in either case, use promo code LEVIN. Now why? Well, if you use promo code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N, you'll get 10% off your LifeLock membership. So visit lifelock.com or call 1-800-LIFELOCK. Use promo code LEVIN and save 10% right now. And protect yourselves with the very best the very best system you possibly can. Can't rely on the government to do it. The government can't even protect itself. You have to take care of yourself. Let's go to John, our trucker friend in Indiana. Sirius Satellite, go! Yes, John, you're on, baby. Go. Well, maybe he's not. Let's continue. Keep him up there just in case he's got a phone problem. Josh, Tom's River, New Jersey, the great WABC. Go. Hello. I would just like to mention that the yes. reason why the Republicans cannot pass legislation on health care is because they keep attacking Medicaid. The way the Democrats do, thing, do things are they make it impossible for people to actually afford health care, and then they're forced to get Medicaid. If they would just pass the top-of-the-house care health care bill, meaning just the tax credits so that people could buy private insurance and not touch Medicaid, I believe it will pass the Senate, and then people will not need to come out to Medicaid because they'll be able to get tax credit instead. So you just think the Democrats will roll over for that, right? Uh, yes, that's, that's how they... No, the Democrats won't roll over for that. Democrats don't believe in tax credits. They don't believe in tax cuts. They believe in Obamacare. I believe you could get 50 um, Republican senators. I don't believe you you can. Not these 50. Not if you, even if you don't touch Medicaid? And by the way, why do you say don't touch Medicaid? Do you favor bankrupting the country? I believe people, people that are conservative are using Medicaid because they have no... Sir, maybe so. They've been pushed into Medicaid. So what you do, and what I've talked about over the years, is you have a 24-month bridge. 24-month bridge where you leave Medicaid alone, but you break up the rest of Obamacare. Insurance companies who are supposed to hate, I don't particularly care for mine, but you're supposed to hate, and new insurance companies, small, large, and in between. They fill the breach... They start to propose and offer policies that are not as expensive, maybe not as, uh, as, as comprehensive, the way we used to do it. And people can then afford to purchase these policies. But to say, don't talk about Medicaid, don't touch Medicaid, well, that'll bankrupt the country. Medicaid is massively expanded. Medicaid will break the backs of most states in about 15 or 20 years. Uh, you can't continue to spend 25 cents out of every budgeted dollar in state government and then spend 40 cents out of every budgeted dollar in state government and say, don't talk about Medicaid, don't talk about Medicaid. We have to talk about Medicaid. I think the problem, sir, is that we don't talk about these things enough. 
And that's because and that's because the Republicans don't support what we support. Go ahead. I believe the idea is if you bring it up right away, you'll always have people screaming that you're taking away their health care. But if you don't, if you first provide the other options, and people do see that they really do have other options, the backlash. Well, you can't provide the other. Listen, we've got multiple problems going on at the same time. Okay. One is bankrupting the country. Nobody wants, including you, nobody wants to talk about entitlements. Nobody wants to talk about the massive debt. And you know, you know what? That's even more dangerous than Obamacare. More dangerous than Obamacare because a massive debt, once it, once it cannot be politically controlled, it'll be economically controlled. And you know what happens when it's economically controlled? It destroys the economic system. It's like a cancer. And then you have to start over all over again. And what happens when you destroy an economic system? You destroy your republic. Then you're in deep trouble. Anyway, my friend, thank you for your call. I appreciate it. We'll be right back. T-shirts. Do you ever see T-shirts yet, fellas? You know, guys, especially some of the young professionals out there listening, it's important to look and dress professionally at work. The people around you take notice. This is, you know, why you've got to check out Charles Tirrett. These Charles Tirrett shirts, they are amazing. Every man's closet needs well-fitted clothes for work or just going out. So what are your options? On one end, you have high-quality shirts, but... They're usually incredibly highly priced, right? Ridiculously so. On the other hand, you've got affordable shirts. But they're out of style and they don't fit right. Every one of us, you know, we're built a little differently. CT shirts are the best shirts in my closet. The most exquisitely crafted, crease-free shirts. They're British-styled and use the softest fabrics. Tie or no tie, tucked or untucked, you'll look great in a CT shirt. Check out this deal I got you. One CT shirt normally costs a hundred bucks, but right now you'll get three, three CT shirts for just $99. You know, if it's a birthday, an anniversary, or any day, and guys, if you just need shirts, this is the time to act. That's 60% off, 60% off. And CT shirts come with free delivery, a six month quality guarantee, and free returns. You're not going to get that at any retail store. 99 bucks gets you three amazing CT shirts, but you need to hurry. Here's what you do. While you're listening, do it so you don't forget. Go to ctshirts.com slash Levin. ctshirts.com slash L-E-V-I-N. That's ctshirts.com slash Levin, L-E-V-I-N. You're going to love these shirts. I'm not even a, a shirt guy, but I love my CT shirts. Susan. Flushing, Michigan, on the Mark Levin app. Go. Hi, Mark. First of all, I'd like to congratulate you on the birth of your grandson. That's really great news. Thank you. But I I called about the health care. I am livid about what Trump, President Trump, is planning on doing. On Thursday, I was so hopeful. He talks about the forgotten man. And the thing that he could do the most 
to help the forgotten man, the person who pays for the bills like my husband and I do and like millions of your listeners pay for, is to reverse this Obamacare. My husband is a small business owner. We pay for our own health care. We try to help his employees. It is killing small business, and it is killing the people who pay for it. He talks about the tax cuts, and I'm not against tax cuts, but the biggest cuts that President Trump could do for the forgotten man that he campaigned on is to reverse Obamacare and get it out of the the system because it will be the undoing of our country. I hope everybody's listening to you, and I think they're in. Let me tell you something else, Susan. You know what I'm hearing on TV and radio tonight? They have a bipartisan agreement to save Obamacare. Is that what this is all about? A bipartisan agreement to save Obamacare? No. We want a bipartisan agreement to allow us to get our health care back. That is correct. And the people who don't want to talk about the entitlement program, well, guess what? I'm one of those people that would like to talk about it because the people that pay for it don't ever get to say anything. All we Mm -hmm. do is get to pay for it and pay for it and pay for it. And if he thinks that he doesn't need people like us when the election comes around, he better think twice. I was for Cruz, but I voted for Trump because I knew there was no hope with Hillary. But I'm telling if anybody from the Trump administration listens to your talk show, President Trump, you had better think twice about what you are about to do. Well, I, I'll tell you what, though. I'll tell you what, just to, from my perspective. I wouldn't vote against him over this, even though this is a bad move, a very, very bad move, because he's done a lot of good things, too. What we need to do is give him some support, I think. But you have every reason to exercise, for you to take a knee on this, to exercise your your rights to speak, and to make it abundantly clear that you oppose this. And the president needs to hear from us. We are the blue line when it comes to politics. I'll be back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. The number, 877-381-3811, The criminal sexual scandal that is Hollywood is spreading. There's now claims of pedophilia. More and more actors and actresses are coming forward. You can go on the Drudge Report. You can see all the links there. There are links elsewhere. And I'm still waiting for a special FBI sexual crimes unit for Hollywood Maybe it should be a commission. The liberals like commissions. A blue ribbon commission to investigate the entertainment industry in Hollywood. Entertainment industry. It's an industry. It's a multi-billion dollar industry, like other industries. They don't create oil. They don't create plastic. 
They don't create steel. They don't create automobiles and so forth and so on. They create movies. They create TV shows. They create commercials, whatever. But Hollywood is an industry. And we have an industry, ladies and gentlemen, that is drenched in potential sexual crimes. Abuse of women. Abuse of children. And in some cases, abuse of men. And it seems to me, and I'm saying this in all seriousness, not to be provocative when you look at the news out there, it seems to me this needs to be a focused area. I mean, if we were to find out that the oil industry was ripe with sexual criminality or sexual offenses, potentially pedophilia, and on and on and on, would we be sitting back, well, you know, it's been going on for 50 years? No! We'd have congressmen running the microphones in front of the cameras, going on and on and on, how we need an investigation, where's the FBI, and blah, blah, blah. Just because Hollywood is one of the main sources of left-wing funding, of Democrat Party funding, doesn't mean it should be treated any differently than any other industry for this point. I'm not talking about violating the First Amendment either. If you're committing a crime, or there's an environment in which these sorts of things go on, then it needs to be addressed. It needs to be addressed. And by the way, where are all the civil libertarians? They should be joining me. Especially the civil libertarians in L.A. and New York. Where are they? Where are all the women's groups? Oh, we got Weinstein. He's not enough. He's the fat tip of a fat iceberg. That fat brother of his has been accused of something too. I understand accusations. So be it. But we have accusations against Bill Cosby. We had accusations against, may I say, I'm sorry, Michael Jackson, and on and on and on. And we're told, we're told by people in Hollywood, now they're brave. This is ubiquitous. Are you kidding me? This has been going on since forever. Okay. More the reason. More the reason. Now, we had the very brave men and women of the Republican Party who controlled Congress and these committees investigating the Trump family. Jared Kushner had to be called before a, a congressional committee. Another one has to be called. This guy, that guy. Okay. But we have not allegations of collusion and all the rest. We have serious allegations of sexual criminality, of workplace violence, A workplace harassment. Where's the EEOC, ladies and gentlemen? Where's the criminal division of the Justice Department, ladies and gentlemen? Where's the United States Attorney's Office in Los Angeles, ladies and gentlemen? Or Manhattan? And, of course, where are the media? Tell you where the media are. You've got this new iron triangle, the access powers. What is it? Media, Democrat Party, and Hollywood. Media, Democrat Party, and Hollywood. A massive cover-up in Hollywood. Massive. Massive media cover-up. And who benefits? The millionaires who pretend they're egalitarians in Hollywood. The media with their ratings, and the Democrat Party with the donations. We haven't forgotten about Hollywood. Or Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda is a washed-up actress, and yet there she is. She's everywhere, promoting a movie. I don't even know the name of the movie. I don't even know who produced it. I don't even care. 
There she is on the BBC. You know, these leftists, whether it's Obama or Hillary Clinton or Jane Fonda, they have this really bad habit of going into foreign countries and going on foreign media and trashing their own country. Poor Jane Fonda. Cut six, go. Let me ask you a simple question. Are you proud of America today? No, but... But well, I'm proud of the resistance. Stop, stop. What did he say? Well done. Let's go back to the top of that. Go ahead. Let me ask you a simple question. Are you proud of America today? No, but... But well, I'm proud of the resistance. I'm proud oh, of the right. people who are turning out in unprecedented numbers and continue over and over and over again but, to protest what Trump is doing. I'm very proud of the, that right, core. But, but you know what? Well, so she's proud of the goon squads. She's proud of the radical leftists, Black Lives Matter. She's proud of Antifa. She's proud of that. And you have to understand, she was part of the new left with Tom Hayden out in California. The Midwest Academy. You can Google all these things. I've studied the new left and saw Lindsay and all of it. That's what she is. She's proud of the resistance. Now let me ask you a question, ladies and gentlemen. If we were the resistance, would she be proud of us? No. Not in the least. First of all, she's an idiot. She's always been an idiot. She's always given aid and comfort to the enemy, in Vietnam in particular. She's loathsome. Absolutely loathsome. Even in her old age, there she is. On the BBC. Are you proud of America today? No! No! I'm proud of the resistance. Let me ask you something, Jane Fonda. You said you knew about Weinstein and the these activities, the sexual predation. At least a year ago. Why weren't you part of that resistance? Because you're a fake and a fraud. That's why. Oh, you brave Hollywood types on the BBC, on French news, on left-wing news in America. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're for the cause, for the cause. But when the cause was standing up for your fellow actors and actresses and defending them against sexual criminality, harassment, and abuse... You're absolutely silent. You're a Helen Keller. Now, isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? They weren't part of the resistance then. They're not part of the resistance in Hollywood, against Hollywood, are they? No. Well, she had more to say. Her time in Vietnam. Cut seven. Go. I don't regret going to Vietnam. The United States... I don't regret you going to Vietnam. I regret you coming back from Vietnam. You know what I mean, Mr. Producer? Go to Vietnam. Your utopia. But I notice you rushed right back to Beverly Hills. Right back to Beverly Hills. Another one, like the Today Show. Oh, this Denmark is great. Denmark, Denmark. Contract comes up. Matt Lauer. I want more than Megyn Kelly. I want $25 million a year. Hey, what about the teacher's salary? Screw it. That's for the plebes. That's just for show. That's for news. I'm Matt Lauer. By the way, Matt Lauer... The hell watches Matt Lauer, and why? Go ahead. I don't regret going to Vietnam. The United States was bombing the dikes of North Vietnam, earthen dikes in the Red River First Delta. of all, she shouldn't speak that way, should she, Mr. Producer? That's not ladylike. 
have a little more respect. Go ahead. Thanks had given way, according to Henry Kissinger, somewhere around two million. Right, let me tell you done. something, idiot. Idiot. We lost over fifty-eight thousand men and women in Vietnam. You're bombing to win the war. Unfortunately, we didn't due to the political hacks who got us in and got us out. The way they got us in and the way they got us out. Bombing dikes in North Vietnam. Is she familiar with World War II? Is she familiar with World War I? Is she familiar with how you win wars? So people like her can live in bliss, in the lap of luxury, while spouting their Marxism. Go ahead. Famine and drowning, and we were bombing, and it wasn't being talked about. You know what? Shut up, you idiot. This isn't the BBC, and uh, I don't have to listen to you. No, let's all take a knee. All take a knee over Jane Fonda. I'll be right back. Lovin. You know, there's a guy, David Jolly, and he's not, and I used to be a staffer on Capitol Hill and things of that sort. He worked for Representative Bill Young full-time, who was on Capitol Hill for a very long time. Um, he, uh, let's see, he was also a personal attorney for the Young family. Then he joined a Washington law firm as a lobbyist. And he made donations to Democrats and Republicans. He's your typical entrenched inside Washington type. Then he decided he wanted to run for Congress. And so, of course, the Republican Party eventually supported him as he won the primary. Uh, People supported him. They gave their time to try and get him elected. They donated money to try and get him elected. They wanted a Republican from this district. Uh, in uh, in Congress from Florida's 13th Congressional District. And he won. And he won. And uh, then he lurched left of center. Became, quote-unquote, bipartisan, don't you know? Became bipartisan. He decided he was going to give up his seat in 2016 uh, to run for the Senate when it appeared that Marco Rubio wasn't running. But of course we know Ruby decided to run. He reversed his, his decision. Then Jolly withdrew from the Senate race and he decided to run for re-election to the House citing his unfinished business. Well, he was running against former Florida Governor Charlie Crist, who is a complete chameleon. So he had two chameleons running against each other. One, a former Capitol Hill staffer, Washington lawyer, Washington lobbyist, against Charlie Crist, a Republican, an Independent, and a Democrat. A real nut job. Meanwhile, the district had been redistricted fairly significantly, made it more Democratic, Jolly ran and he lost to Crist, 52 to 48 percent. 
52 to 48 percent. What had previously been a Republican stronghold seat, even though it was significantly more Democratic after the redistribution, went to Crest, even though it should have gone to Jolly, so Jolly lost. Now Jolly, just like the morning schmo, who's a loser, former congressman, he goes on MSLSD yesterday. MSLSD. And he goes there to attack conservatives, attack Donald Trump. The kind of Republican the Democrats love and the media love. Cut five, go. Listen, the Republican Party has never really recovered and found their footing from the emergence of the Tea Party, from the emergence of the likes of Sarah Palin. Now, let's just stop right there. The likes of Sarah Palin, as if she's a mass murderer. If it wasn't for the Tea Party, if it wasn't for you, if it wasn't for constitutional conservatives all over this country, we wouldn't have a Republican House, we wouldn't have a Republican Senate, we wouldn't have a Republican President, and Mr. Jolly would never have won even one term to the House of Representatives. He is putrid through and through. And then the constant attack on Sarah Palin is really unforgivable. Why is it that when fools like this attack Sarah Palin, they're not called misogynist? Why is it? Go ahead. ...in the likes of Steve Bannon and Donald Trump. What is different now is that we have a president who is known to be unstable. We have a president who is known to be risky when it comes to matters of national security. No, we, don't, we, we actually don't know that. This president has handled North Korea as brilliantly as possible, better than any of his predecessors. This president went 80% of the way in dealing with Iran. He's going to have to go the other 20% of the way and drop out of that deal, in my humble opinion. Where anywhere has Donald Trump shown that he is unstable, number one, or that he's unstable when it comes to matters or a risk in national security? He unleashed the United States military against ISIS, as well as the Kurds, and ISIS is being defeated. What's left of ISIS is on the run. So I repeat, what exactly is this clown talking about? This nobody who served one term in the House, thanks to the Tea Party and conservative movement, and for the rest of that time, he, the rest of his career, has spent time uh, as a barnacle on the belly of big government, or as a staffer barnacle on the ass of big government. Go ahead. So what was kind of this emerging rebellion within the Republican Party and one that the likes of John Boehner and Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell could never figure out? They still haven't figured it out, but now it has real-life consequences and potentially very dangerous. You know what? This, this guy is just, he really is a uh, stomach crawler. Go ahead. Consequences. And so I will be honest with you, Lawrence. I, I Lawrence, that would be Lawrence O'Donnell. Talk about unstable. Doesn't take much to get under Lawrence O'Donnell's skin, does it? Who's in my ear? Hey, everyone's in my ear. What's in my ear? What are you talking about Labor Day in my ear for? F this and F that. Oh, that's Lawrence O'Donnell. Talk about unstable. Go ahead. Republican and in the past few weeks have wondered, is the republic safer if Democrats take over the House in 2018? I raised that issue with a leading Republican in D.C. last week, and the remarkable thing is he had been thinking exactly the same thing. This is a president that needs a greater check on his power than Republicans in Congress have offered. This man is a fool. He is a propagandist. He's playing to the left-wing media because he wants to be promoted by the left-wing media. He knows exactly how to do it. He's an operator. He's an inside-the-beltway operator. 
The Republicans haven't been performing for Trump. They haven't given Trump everything he wants, now have they? They've given almost nothing he wants. If the Democrats take the House, this clown knows full well they'll move to impeach Trump. And he's perfectly happy with this. This is a man who was a Republican in the House for two years. And people on the left will praise him as being very sober and thoughtful and not an ideologue, when in fact he's all of those things. That is, none of those things. He's not a sober thinker. He's not a thoughtful thinker. He's an operator. But I wanted you to hear this. This guy, David Jolly, former representative, he's, he's a nobody. He's a one-term backbencher. He's a back-to-the-backbencher. And yet MSLSD resurrects him. The way they resurrected the morning schmo, Joe Scarborough, who served three or four terms in the House of Representatives. And that's basically his entire career. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I shall return. You can call us now at 877-381-3811. And the liberal contact number is 877-381-3811. You know, time is running out on the Genesel warehouse clearance sale from Chamonix. Call right now to get double your order of Genesel free. That's right, free. Genesel is a natural plant stem cell treatment with advanced peptides for those annoying bags and puffiness under the eyes. And with its Genesel's immediate effects, you'll see amazing results in less than 12 hours. Call now for double your order of Genesel free. And if you don't see results, you simply don't pay. Genesel comes with a 100% no questions asked 60-day money-back guarantee. That is unbelievable. It gets better. Call now for a two-month supply of the legendary deep firming serum, also free. Call in the next few minutes, 20 minutes, and get a free two-month supply of Esotique RF. Chamonix's legendary wrinkle treatment free. That's four free gifts for you and my buddy Teddy. Call 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604, or visit www.genesel.com. Double your Genesel order. Get the deep firming serum and Esotique free for a limited time. Order now and get a surprise luxury gift also free, folks. You really need to check into this. It doesn't get any better. 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604. That's 800-SKIN-604. You want to have a little fun? I mean, I know we've been having fun. You want to have a little more fun? How about CNN covering me? How about CNN talking about me? It happens a lot, but you want to you hear this particular one? Let's check it out. This is John King on CNN Today. Cut 10, go. To the idea that Donald Trump could stand there in the Rose Garden, number one, the question is, did he mean it? Was it authentic? Does he really like Mitch McConnell? Or is it at least, at least an effective working partnership? You don't have to like people to have an effective working partnership. Or B, will, will President Trump standing there send a signal to the base that, oh, this is okay, maybe we should go a little easier on Mitch? Listen to Mark Levin on the radio uh, saying, sorry, Mr. President, how about that guy you were with in the Rose Garden? Got to go. But for the conservative movement, but for the Tea Party movement, there wouldn't be a majority of Republicans in the United States Senate today. He opposed Rubio. He won. He opposed Mike Lee. He won. He opposed Ted Cruz. He won. He opposed Rand Paul. He won. In the last election, he did nothing to help Ron Johnson, and he won. This is why McConnell must go. The United States Senate is not going to move. It's not going to 
embrace conservative principles. It's not going to embrace the Constitution. It's not going to deal with the debt. It's not going to deal with the border. The United States Senate is not going to move from its current position unless Mitch McConnell is thrown out. Now, again, there are a lot of establishment Republicans in Washington who say, oh, that's just some guy on the radio. Uh, when you travel the country and talk to grassroots Republicans, conservatives, especially Trump voters, that's what they channeled. That, that why, did we, why do we keep winning and getting nothing for it? When are we going to get something for there's, winning? I think there's a grain of truth in that, in the sense that let's stipulate that President Trump and Mitch McConnell got along famously. Would health care have gotten through the Senate? I'm not sure. I think there are some internal problems with the way that the Republican majority is governing itself in terms of the, there was a broken process on this Senate bill. Um, I'm not sure how the process on tax reform is working. There are problems in the Senate that have nothing to do with Trump. And it, would John McCain have voted yes if Mitch McConnell and President Trump had, had gotten along? It, it, that's not totally clear to me. And that's another reason that I think it's far from clear that were the relationship between these two guys to improve, a lot of legislation would be getting passed. First, let me say that John King did an excellent job. And this reporter for Politico, Ileana Johnson, sounds like a real reporter to me. I believe she used to work at National Review or PJ Media or both, but in any event, she sounds quite good. Actually, very thoughtful. And frankly, so did John King from CNN. He's no uh, Brian Stetzler. Now, I don't follow John King all the time, but this was shown to me. But Johnson's point is excellent. Let's pretend that Trump and McConnell are chums, bosom buddies. McConnell is not running the Senate properly, ladies and gentlemen. And I noticed something at that press conference yesterday. Maybe you noticed it, too. McConnell had great difficulty walking down like three steps. He would, he would have to put both feet on the steps, one, then the other, one, then the other, one to get down. And in getting up the steps, the president actually had to hold his arm and help him. Did you see that, Mr. Producer? These guys, they can barely walk, they can barely talk, they can barely think, and there they are. This guy's lost control of the Senate. This is why Chuck Schumer can run circles around him. And his number two is John Cornyn. John Cornyn is awful, absolutely awful. Do you know who was running the National Senatorial Election Committee that Mitch McConnell is really the behind-the-scenes mafioso controlling? But it was John Cornyn. John Cornyn backed Christ. Christ. John Cornyn wouldn't lift a finger for Cruz. John Cornyn wouldn't lift a finger for Rand Paul. In this last round, he wouldn't lift a finger for Ron Johnson. I've had my differences with Ron Johnson, but I'll tell you what, I don't think he can do much better from Wisconsin in the U.S. Senate. And he's actually done some very good work lately. Mike Lee, a star of the Senate, if not the star of the Senate, they supported his opponent in the Republican primary in that convention in Utah. So some of the best Young talent we have, most conservative talent we have in the Senate, was opposed by Mitch McConnell. And he supported these typical rhino lightweights, which was my point. And John King got it. And Ileana Johnson got it. And even brought more to the table explaining, you know what, the Senate isn't running that well.
with McConnell. That was her point, that there are problems. And ladies and gentlemen, why don't we just try somebody new? How can that hurt? All right. I want to move to the NFL. We're moving fast because I'm running out of time. The National Football League has decided to take the protest on the field with the kneelers and institutionalize it. So the owners and the league are buckling to the radical union. This is from the Washington Compost. NFL endorses criminal justice reform bill in the midst of anthem debate. Now don't tell me, well, the Koch brothers support it. Well, then I better change my mind. Oh, my goodness. Oh, what the hell? This is a prison break, as my buddy Daniel Horowitz tells at, at Conservative Review. That's what it is. The National Football League, still in political crosshairs over whether players should take a knee during the national anthem, is throwing its weight behind another cause in Washington debate over racial inequality, criminal justice reform. Now listen to this paragraph from so-called reporters from the so-called newspaper, the so-called Washington Post, a.k.a. the Washington Compost. So within this news report, it is stated that the debate over racial inequality, criminal justice reform. There are allegations. Well, where's the evidence? Well, look at the statistics. No, 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 no. Where's the evidence in these specific cases that there was racial inequality, that the judge was a racist, that the jury was a racist, that the appellate judges were racist? Where's the evidence that the Supreme Court of a state was racist? All the way up and down the chain. They're all racist. The prosecutor's racist. Defense counsel's racist. The witnesses are racist. This is just so much BS. The NFL spokesman. You know how the NFL spokesman is? Joe Lockhart. Remember Joe Lockhart? He was the mouthpiece for, who was it? Clinton, right? This guy's a multimillionaire after serving in government. The NFL spokesman, Joe Lockhart, said on Monday the league has decided to endorse a bipartisan bill to reduce mandatory minimum sentences for low-level drug offenders, eliminate three-strike provisions that require life sentences, and give judges more latitude to reduce sentences for certain low-level crimes. Now, you know what this is? This is the uprooting of the Reagan sentencing guidelines. That's what it is. And the reason we have the Reagan sentencing guidelines, to be very specific about this, is because liberal activist judges were letting criminals out or giving them light sentences. And even this sentence here, low-level drug offenders, as we all know, sometimes prosecutors make deals because their, their list of cases is so long that they take plea agreements. So it may be a low-level drug offender, but maybe it's actually a drug dealer who pled to a lesser-included offense. Those Reagan guidelines passed by Congress, those Reagan guidelines had kept this nation much safer. But now we're to blow the lid off it because, you know, sentencing is racial, prosecutions are racial, uh, on and on and on, it's all racial. No, it's not. But the NFL jumped at this because they see the organization like the Koch Foundation. They see some of our conservative friends in the Senate. Uh, they see liberals. They see people pushing for this. And so the NFL figures, you know what, we'll do it too. It's bipartisan, what the hell. But what the NFL has done 
has further politicized itself. Why is it taking a position at all, let alone that position? We felt that this was an issue over the last months as we have continued to work with our players on issues of equality and on issues of criminal justice reform that was surfaced for us, and we thought it was appropriate to lend support to it. This is a typical blathering mouth liberal, this Lockhart. This commissioner needs to go. All right, that's enough already. This commissioner needs to go. The hell's his name again? I can't even remember his name. Roger Goodell. Roger Baddell. He needs to go. And Roger that. So now they think they have a uh, an out. Because Charles Grassley's for uh, criminal justice reform. Well, woe is me. If Grassley's for it, we're all for it. And Richard Durbin, little Dick uh, Durbin from Illinois. We can all join in. So uh, we have the Grassley-Durbin bill. It's the result of a five-year bipartisan effort. This is the news report. Last year, the duo released almost identical legislation backed by 37 co-sponsors, including 17 Republicans. 17 Republicans. And so now the NFL is all for it. So the NFL has come out of the closet. It's got, become political. And it's endorsing this agenda, the jailbreak agenda, I call it. Why? Because the union. That's why. Because the union runs the NFL. Let's be honest. The union runs the NFL. Now, Kaepernickel pickle. As a result of Kaepernickel pickle, now people are on their knee. A lightweight, phony social activist warrior, a lousy NFL player. He picks up a lousy attorney, in my view, this guy, Mark, uh, whatever his name is, Garagos. Whitewater days. Boy, he was great. Anyway, uh, they bring this, in my view, preposterous look. Hey, there's collusion. The Russians? No, no, no. The NFL's colluding. And rather than stand up for itself, rather than take control of its industry, rather than do as the fans demand, the NFL buckles to the union. Roger Baddell needs to go. You need a real commissioner. A real commissioner. Oh, you can't tell players not to take a knee. It's their First Amendment right. First Amendment has nothing to do with it. Well, it's racist. Why? Are all the players minorities? White players aren't allowed to take a knee either. Well, it's not anti-flag or anti-anthem. It's against, uh, uh, what is it? They're throwing in so many things now. Pay inequality, gender inequality, this and, you know, your typical left-wing grab bag. So they are dishonoring the national anthem and the flag because they're dishonoring the country. And this is why this business will continue to hurt. Let me tell you the business that's coming up behind it. Esports. Younger people today are into gaming online, whether you like it or not. And I don't mind it. Many of them are gamers or they watch gamers. And these gamers have created leagues. And within the leagues, they've created teams. And many people with a lot of money are investing in this now because it's the future. And I believe it's the future, too. So some of these old-time sports who are disrespecting their fans or who are cowering to their unions and their players, they're going to continue to lose fans the way you know, so many cable uh, uh, operators, Comcast, whatever you want to call are losing subscribers. Because there are things in the future. These are not the only games in town, so to speak. 
I'll be right back. I love my car. I love our Camaro, 2010 Camaro, first first model of the new Camaro. Obviously, it reached that age where things are starting to go wrong. Now, I don't worry about those problems anymore, though, because I got extended vehicle service protection from CarShield. You know, getting covered by CarShield is such a great idea. It's affordable protection that can save you thousands for a covered repair. A new fuel pump costs over $500, and replacing a water pump, that's over a 1000 bucks. CarShield even has plans that cover your car's computer, GPS, electronics, and more. CarShield's the ultimate in extended vehicle coverage, and they get your favorite mechanic or dealership paid directly. You know how most of them do it. Oh, yes, yes, yes. You pay, and then we'll reimburse you. No, 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 no. CarShield will take care of it. So sign up today. And get 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car while yours is in the shop. Save yourself from high repair bills. Get covered by CarShield like I did before something goes wrong. It's a simple number. 800-CAR-6100. 800-CAR-6100. Mention code LEVIN. Code LEVIN so you get 10% off. Or you can go to CarShield.com. CarShield.com. Use code LEVIN. L-E-V-I-N. And you can save 10% there. It's really a wonderful product. That's carshield.com, code Levin. Carshield.com, code Levin. A deductible may apply. Well, I got everything I wanted to get to, except more of you. Let's do it, shall we? Let's see. uh, Thomas, Bridgewater, New Jersey, the great WABC. Go. Mr. Levin, it's nice to speak to you. And I'd like to start by saying... uh, how changed I am and affected by, you know, the fondness that you always express for your parents and uh, how you talk to them every day. So I hope they're well, Mark, or whoever it is that, that's in your world who's not feeling well. Um, I'm Thank calling you. about the finally hearing on the radio something about Kirk Cook and, and the Kurds and uh, the alliance that we shared with them and the support that they provided to me personally and to my unit when I was in Iraq in 2003 and 2004. And, uh, you know, it's a delicate situation, and Kirkuk is on the border of traditional Iraq. But as you mentioned, uh, Woodrow Wilson and Clemenceau and Lloyd George brokered this um, border, this boundary, and denied this, this independent people with its own language and its own customs and its own love of freedom, um, really separate from Islamism or Muslim uh, beliefs, they're, they are many Muslims, but they're not the strict uh, Islamists, uh, anti-American hating types of, of people that we're seeing, of course, in Turkey uh, and Iran. And uh, to deny them their independence, and, and really, it's again a lack of leadership and diplomacy when we have a chance to really uh, stand for some people who stood with us. And, and in fact, when we went to Kirkuk in 2003, they ensured that they stayed in front of the 173rd Airborne Brigade so that the brigade that jumped into Iraq would not sustain any losses. So they were the first troops to go into Kirkuk to liberate it, and then the Americans followed after them. So I really appreciate it. it, it, I, I, I cannot believe the Secretary of State is sitting on his hands. It's grotesque to me. Thomas, God bless you. Thank you for your service, and the story is very, very important. We appreciate it. 
And we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Check out Levin TV tonight in two minutes, folks. And I'll see you on the radio tomorrow. God bless you.